Great to be back at the house of God here today. If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you want to just slightly raise your hand, we would love to give you a Bible and to put a Bible in your hands that you can take home today. When we gather to worship, we're here to lift high the name of Jesus. We're here to open up God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through it and to convict us and to, and to change us. We're here to edify one another. We're here to serve. We're here to do all those things and let everything else fade away. We're in a series in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and this series is called Called Out. And the reason we named it Called Out is because this is a letter that's written to the church of God at Corinth. And the Greek word for church is ekklesia which means a called-out gathering of people. And that's what was true of the Corinthians, and that's what's true of us. We are called out of darkness, and we are brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that is going on with the church at Corinth is Paul is not only saying, hey, this is your identity now. You are in Christ now. He's also calling out some sins that are going on in the lives of the people in this church. And it all goes back to they're not living in the reality of who they are in Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul has a lot to say here in this chapter. But underlying behind it all is this truth. It's the truth that you need to make Jesus the foundation of your life. Make Jesus the foundation of your life. There are so many different ways that we want to build our lives, right? I mean, for many of us in this room, it's I want to raise some successful kids. I just, I'm just, I'm a parent. I want to do that. For some of us in this room, maybe it's I want to pursue a romantic relationship, and I want to build that romantic relationship and, and, and have a spouse someday. For others in this room, it's I want to be successful in business. I want to do something that matters. And I know a lot of you in this room have very noble goals. Sometimes we have selfish goals. But a lot of us want to be there for the outcasts, want to be there for the marginalized in our society. That's one of the things that Jeremy was alluding to that we do in our life groups is we reach out into the communities, the people that are hurting. But if we do all those things and we don't have Jesus as the foundation, if he isn't the foundation of that, we're not going to be doing what God wanted us to do the way God wanted us to do it. And there's some serious ramifications from that. If you want a sneak peek at where Paul is going, look at verse 13. I know we're not going to start in verse 1. I just want to give you a sneak peek here. Verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So Paul is telling us here that at some point in time, in the future, there is going to be a day of reckoning where saved and unsaved alike will stand before God. They will give an account of their life to God, how they built their life, the decisions you made, what was the motivation behind those decisions. And there will be rewards for some, of those decisions and some of those works and for others it will be burned away and it won't mean anything for eternity and you may be thinking wow david uh that sounds that sounds so spiritual i i i want to do the right thing i want to 
build my life on something that will last for eternity, but how do I do that? And to be honest with you, this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this was a passage that when I was a younger adolescent, like I, I wrestled with this one. I struggled with this one. Well, how do I know if, if what I'm doing is going to be burned away into nothing? Or how do I know if it's, if it's going to be rewarded? And I, I even had some sleepless nights over this exact passage. What we're going to get at, and we're going to come back to, Paul is going to prove this as he develops this, is that everything that we need to do, everything that we need to do, has to be built on a foundation. And there's always going to be a motivation. There's always going to be a foundation. And the foundation has to be Jesus. So let's look at the text here, starting in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to see how Paul builds up to this whole idea of making Jesus the foundation of your life. Look at verse 1. But I, brothers, would not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you were not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, aren't you not merely being human? I already told you the main point of this, of this text. All right, You're going to have to trust me on that, though, because right now, Paul is setting this up. He's laying some groundwork before he gets to this main point. And he's explaining that there's some specific things in the life of the Corinthians, there's some specific things that are in our lives that hinder us and hold us back from making Jesus the foundation of your life. So as he's laying this groundwork and setting this stage, he gives us three specific areas where we can have spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. We, lo- we saw like in, in chapter 2 that all Christians, everyone who has the Holy Spirit, is mature in Christ. But what is going on here now in chapter 3 is there's actually a third category of people that Paul is describing. First of all, look at verse 1. But, bro- but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Uh, in the Greek there, the whole brothers, it really can just be mean brothers and sisters. He's, he's talking to men and women here at the same time. And so who is he saying? When, who is he referring to when he says brothers and sisters? What does that mean? To the church here at Corinth, are they saved or unsaved? What do you think? Who's he talking to? Christians. That's right. I got it. I heard it somewhere out there. Christians. That's who he's talking to. And he's saying, look, I can't even refer to you as spiritual people right now. Even though you are saved, you know Jesus, you're acting like people of the flesh. So in chapter 2, it was two types of people, right? It was the natural man. This is a lost person who's living in darkness, doesn't have the Holy Spirit. They don't know Jesus at all as their Savior. And the spiritual man, this is the person who has been redeemed. They've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Now we have this third category, the fleshly person. And in verse 4, it's you're, not, you're merely being human. It's the same Greek word. So there's, three now, there's now three categories of people. There's the saved person, the lost person, and the Christian who's not acting like a Christian. And that's a big problem. That's, that's broken. That's an oxymoron. That should never be the case. I can't believe I'm saying this to you, Corinthians, but look, you're not living the way you're supposed to live. You're not living like you're called out. So he's calling them out on that very truth. Now, have you ever seen anybody like this? 
I've been like this, all right? We've all been like this at times, where we let our fleshly old desires reign and control our actions. Now, we don't want to be too quick to point our finger at the Corinthians, yeah, look how bad they are, because we can all struggle with this exact same scenario, letting our flesh drive our passions and our desires. But what is happening here is there is a specific, almost, this is their identity. Like they're, they're so wrapped up in their flesh and doing what they want to do and not focusing on Jesus Christ that it's really defining who they are. And that's a really, really big problem with the spiritual maturity. So there's three specific evidences of spiritual maturity here. And the first one is they're not growing in the word. They're not growing in the word. Look at verse, verse 2 there. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you were not ready, for you're still of the flesh. Paul's using an analogy here of the food that you consume. Monroe is five months old. Yesterday, she, for the very first time, had rice cereal. It was an awesome little experience to see her just, like, dive into that rice cereal. But she's had milk her whole life, and she's going to continue to have milk. Beckham, he's five. He does not live just off of milk. Believe me. Uh, that, that kid eats a lot of food, all right? But how did Beckham get to that point? And Paxton, my three-year-old, Paxton just pretty much eats, like, fruits, vegetables, and candy. Like, he has nothing, he has nothing in between for him. He's, he's weird like that. But how did Beckham and Paxton get to the point where they got past milk? Well, they started eating rice cereal. Then their mom smashed up some bananas and some avocados, and they started slowly developing into that. And then, before you know it, we have eggs for breakfast, and we have to make a dozen eggs for our family because Beckham eats five eggs and Paxton eats three eggs. And, like, we're just eating. They're already eating inside the house and home. But it all happens because you gain that healthy, healthy appetite, and you, and you build. Your system builds, right? So think of this with the Word of God. If we're just resting on the fluffy stuff and the feel-good stuff and we're never getting in the Word and digesting the Word of God and talking about the Word of God and texting verses to each other and talking about how we can apply it to our lives in, in, in life groups and just talking to people and asking questions and reading books and going back to the Bible, we're never going to grow in our, in our appetite, in our ability to process the Word. And that is a huge, huge problem that is in the church. I mean, we could use this, we could park in this analogy all day, right? I mean, if you're only eating the junk food, how are you going to feel? You're going to be sick, like a lot of our people are sick right now. Like, sickness is going around Spartanburg, let's eat organic Spartanburg. Um, but no, that's the thing, like, if you can eat healthy, you gain this appetite where you like healthy things, and you don't even always want the junk food anymore, Right? It's like, I don't, I don't really want all that sugar because I know how it's going to make me feel once you've achieved this certain level of eating healthy. So if we can get in the word, we're going to want to turn away from all the junk. We're going to turn, want to turn away from all that fluff, all that stuff that is going to be harmful for us spiritually. We're not even going to des desire it. But the Corinthian church did not develop that appetite. And they were, they were not growing. They were still infants in Christ in that sense. The second thing that we see here is relational disunity. All right, relational disunity. Look at, look at, verse, look at verse 4. Uh, oh, verse, verse 3, excuse me. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? 
Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Don't you think he should be saying, don't you think he should be saying like, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? <laughs> is what he's saying here is, look at, the, look at this. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. And I mean, the punctuation in the, in the New Testament is not, is not inspired, okay? I hope we all understand that. So when there's a comma or a period, those are the translators that put that in there. And I think, I actually have this corrected in my Bible because the, the way I think Paul is really saying this is, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Servants through whom you believed, period. And then a capital A, as the Lord assigned to each colon. I planted Apollos watered. Is what he's saying here is, hey, look, these guys, their role is a servant. So don't elevate them. You're a servant too. They're a servant. You're a servant. We're all servants. Let's respect the office for sure. I'm not saying here that being a pastor is an easy job. Of course not. Let's not get carried away. It is a hard thing to do, to care for people, to expose the word. There's a lot of responsibility in there. We should for sure respect our spiritual leaders, those who God has put in authority over us. The Bible says that they're worthy of double honor for a reason. But I can't say, Look at me, look at my power, look at my authority. No one can say that. No one should ever do that. Because we are all servants. We plant, we water. Julie plants, Emily waters. God gives the growth. God is the undercurrent behind it all that brings the growth. And this unhealthy view of leadership is here in Corinth, and it is here today. Sometimes we like to blame like the celebrity culture of America on this for the American church right now, but it's always been that way. We've always had this desire to like, oh, that guy's awesome, or that girl's talented, she's amazing, they're awesome, let's go follow them, and let's just elevate them on this pedestal. We can't do that because they are human. They are people just like us. They will fall, they will mess up, they will disappoint us. The only one who never changes, the only one who will never disappoint us is who? It's Jesus Christ. It's, it's God, our Savior. So this unhealthy view of leadership is very troubling. And it can happen in a couple different ways. It can happen from the perspective of, uh, of the people who, who put too much weight and too much authority on and too much celebrity on the leader. It can also happen from the leader's perspective, where they start reading their own press clippings. They have success. And they start feeling like they can get away with anything. anything. And they start living a double standard. Pride set in. Things go very, very poorly when that happens. So it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, an elder, a worship leader. You have to look at your position and realize God gave you that position. That's by the grace of God. And it's, and it's his work that you're engaged in. So be a servant of him. We can have man-centric praise or we can have self-glory. Both of these things go haywire. A great passage that talks about this, I want to just briefly uh, show you this one. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. If you can turn to 1 Peter 5 really fast, go for it. But you don't have to. I'm going to read it for you as well. But this is a passage that as a, that as a pastor I take so seriously. So I exhort the elders among you as as a, and as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In verse 9 there, for we are God's fellow workers, back, back to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Don't you love how Paul brings this right back to your own personal application? He brings this right back to the church. He's not going to let you just get away with talk, talking and thinking about the leaders. No, you're a servant too. You're a servant too. He's forcing you to personalize it. We all have work to do. But you see how this can go very poorly if Jesus isn't the foundation, right? If we lose sight of the fact that we are serving him, if we lose sight that he has given us everything, it's not about us it's about Jesus. We're on mission for his glory. And this is why we have to guard ourselves. Every single one of us, we have to guard ourselves. To not hold on to our thing. The Corinthian church had, um, had relational disunity, right? There was jealousy, there was strife, there was bickering, there was competition, there was comparison. That's not just for the Corinthian church. That's going to be true for our church. When you're serving and you have a role and maybe, maybe some leaders in the church say, hey, let's give another person this role too. Let's share the responsibility. Let's transition some of the leadership roles around. The natural tendency is to be defensive. Well, am I not doing it well enough? Do you not appreciate me? That's, that's the natural tendency we're all going to fight. But we have to realize at the end of the day, we're doing this not for our own glory, but for his glory. And we need to share as a team these responsibilities. I mean... Basketball is one of the best sports that illustrates this, honestly. You can have a really, really talented team with great, super skillful players. They can lose to the team that has less talented people if that other team gets their role. They get their identity, who they are, what they're doing, and they're excited and they love playing together. You see this in the NBA all the time. The less talented team, they don't have all the superstars, but they get it, they gel together, they have chemistry, they're not in it for themselves, they're in it for the team and the main overall goal. And wow, those teams just perform better than even the skillful teams that have it all going for them. And you see this in our own lives as well. You see this in the church all the time. Another example of this is the life of Robert Murray McShane. And some of you may have heard, some of you theology buffs out there may have heard of him or read of his books. But he was a pastor in Scotland in the 1800s. And Robert Murray McShane, he prayed diligently for years for revival in his church, in his city, in his country of Scotland. He wanted revival desperately. Well, the time came where Robert Murray McShane actually went on a sabbatical for a few months. He went on this sabbatical. And there was a guy named William Burns who stepped in and started preaching for him at his church. And guess what happened? when William Burns started preaching. You know where this is going? Can you tell where this is going? Revival happened. It was amazing. 
People turned their lives to Jesus Christ. They repented of sin. They said, Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. I'm, I'm casting away my old life. I'm now going forward for Jesus Christ. There was a powerful revival that set in in this church in the mid-1800s. Well, how do you think that made Robert Murray McShane feel? He had prayed for revival for year, years, and now it's happening without him at all. He had really... He really wasn't there in the pulpit. He had prayed for it. He was a part of it, but he wasn't there. You know what he did? He stepped away and he said, hey, look, I'm going to sit under you for a while. He's back off of his sabbatical. How about William Burns? You just keep preaching. Just let, let, let the Spirit keep doing this. He laid aside his role. It wasn't something that he had to grasp and hold on to because there was revival happening. And he believed that God was moving. That's a great example for all of us. It's like Bledsoe getting booted for Tom Brady. Just keep it rolling, right? And here we are, like 20 years later, Tom Brady's still a quarterback. But he had the ability, and, he, and he's, he's being used in the football field. We never know how God is going to use us. We never know who God's going to use. But we have to realize it's not about us. It's about God's glory. May we all have the foundational desire to put Jesus above everything else. So grow in the word, number one. Don't make it about yourself. Humbly serve others. Remember your mission, who you're doing this for. And then, of course, have a healthy view of biblical leadership. A healthy view of biblical leadership is vital. There's 49,000 different ways it can go sideways, but the only way it stays on track is if Jesus Christ is the foundation, to make him the foundation. Let's look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Because Paul is going to continue to build off of this thought. And I told you the main point was to make Jesus the foundation of your life. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, I planted Apollos watered. When he said that, in the, in the original language, it's an aorist, aorist past tense, which means I did this at one point in time. And then God gives the growth. This is a perfect tense, meaning a continual action. God is doing this, Okay. And according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I built something on a foundation. What was the foundation? Well, verse 11 tells you what the foundation is. Okay? 1 Corinthians 3, 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So this is telling us the motivation behind everything we do, all of these things that we're supposed to be building with our lives, it needs to be built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, the new life that he imparts to us. We have to have an intentionality behind everything we do for Jesus. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As you build, make sure you're building on the foundation of Jesus. Well, what if it's not? <laughs> Good question, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've been there where I haven't done something I haven't built my life. I haven't made this decision on the intentionality of showing people who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And how do you even do that? How is that even possible? Like, that sounds really hard and confusing sometimes, David. How can I actually build my life that way on the foundation of Jesus Christ? If you're building a building or building a business, and it's all about just making money and getting enough uh, capital income flowing in that you can be comfortable and have a nice little lifestyle, or if you're, or if you're going for a marriage in a, in a romantic relationship just so that person can satisfy your deepest needs, well, that's not going to work out if, if that's what you're putting on the other person, if you haven't figured that out already. All married people in the room would say yes, a hearty, hearty yes. Uh, they're not going to fulfill every single one of my desires and every single one of my needs. We, we know that. What if it's sports? What if it's something that you're going after? And, and I say, I want to be a professional soccer, soccer player, or I want to be a musician or an artist, and I want to do all these great things. Okay, if you're just doing it to win, if you're just doing it for popularity's sake, you're for sure not having Jesus Christ at the foundation. So in this passage, he's addressing the root, the heart, the motivation. And he's saying, take care how you build it. Take care how you build it. There's either going to be a reward, or there's going to be absolutely no reward, and it's going to be burned up. Look at verse, verse 13 again. Because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, Jesus Christ, if it survives, he will receive a reward. Because what that's saying is, literally, the, the works that you do that will receive a reward, they're the ones that are built on the right foundation. Are you with me on that? Do you see that in the text? It's, Jesus is the foundation. You can underline verse 11. You can, in verse, in verse uh, 10 there, you can say foundation-Jesus. Jesus is the foundation in this passage. So if you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, you will receive a reward. If not, you will receive nothing. You've already received your 15 minutes of fame for that. You've already received the, the feel-good feelings that come with that. You've already gotten the pat on the back from somebody else. You're not going to get an eternal reward for doing something for yourself if you didn't do it for Jesus Christ. Now, when I mentioned that I've wrestled with this passage... I've heard some, I've, I don't even know where I exactly heard this, but I just heard people talk about it. I heard some weird teaching on this where it's all about, are you praying and doing it in the Lord's strength? Are you doing it in the Lord's strength? Well, that's, doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit is 100% important. You're not going to be able to last long if you're not relying on the Holy Spirit's power to do something. That gives you, gives you the ability and, and the vitality to continue it and sustain it, absolutely. But this is just talking about your motivation. It's not talking about saying a specific prayer and, and dotting your, your I's and crossing your T's perfectly and doing it and crossing your fingers and hoping God will reward you. It's just saying, hey, why am I doing it? What's the foundational, motivational root behind what I do? Take care how you build. You can build a business and you can say, I want this business to be successful so I can have enough money to pay my bills, to provide for my family, and to bring glory to God. I can build this business, I can be successful with this business, and I can just give back. I can be generous. I can provide jobs for other people. I can actually use this business as a tool to show people what Jesus has done in my life. And I can use this, this business in a way to provide and to glorify God by hard work. All those elements 
are wonderful. The foundation there is Jesus Christ. The foundation is I want to do this intentionally for the greater good, not just for myself. You can have a hobby. You can have, you can have be an artist or a, or a designer or a creator, and you can say, hey, I want to do this not for my own platform, but to build a platform so that I can share my loving creator, so that I can share my Savior, so I can let the world know his beauty and who he is and display his attributes and his character. That's glorifying God. That's putting Jesus Christ at the foundation, is it not? What about in your marriage? All right, I don't want to just get married just for me. It's not about me. It's not about fulfilling my romantic needs and desires. What if I, what if I pursue a spouse? What if I pursue a partner so that we can team up, so that we can be stronger together, so we can complement one another, and we can be a brighter light for Jesus together than I could be alone, two lives becoming one? Doesn't that almost sound like the way God designed <laughs> a man and a woman to come together and a marriage to be? That's the, that's the goal. That's the reasoning. That's the foundation behind it. It's the glory of God. It's sharing the love of Jesus in this world. We can do that through all the things that we do. All the things that we're building, we can make Jesus the foundation. I mean, we make a lot of different other things the foundation of what we do, whether that's winning, success, fame, feel good, uh, entertainment, we just have to let those fade away and make the foundation Jesus Christ. Make Jesus the foundation of your life. We can be really good at using the good gifts that God gives us and just getting something out of that for us. But you're never going to receive a reward. Those rewards that are promised us in heaven are not going to the people. No matter what good thing you did, if you didn't do it for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not receiving a reward. Verse 15 also explains something else that's very important. I'm glad he explains it. I'm glad Paul clarifies this. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Is what Paul is saying here is, hey, don't get confused. This fire that's burning away your works, we're not talking about hellfire here in this particular passage. We're not talking about losing your salvation because you didn't work the right way. You didn't do these works for God, you're losing your salvation? No, not at all, not at all. This is, a, this is not a literal fire, this is a figuratively speaking fire that is going to just fizzle away, fade away everything that you've done that wasn't for the glory of God and wasn't for Jesus Christ. And Paul is emphasizing you're not going to lose your salvation. This is, this is about your works. What else does the Bible say about your works, though? Ephesians 2.8.9 comes to my mind, and Ephesians 2.8.9 is a very, very famous verse. You've probably heard it, and it explains exactly what Paul is saying here. It's another verse that backs this up. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, our good works that we do, they're enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The root, the desire needs to come from the motivation of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, how we can be on mission for him. And in verse 16 and 17, Paul says there, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
Now, you don't really see this just in the English, but verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple? Uh, you might have a textual note there, but that's actually the Greek word, the plural, the plural you. So it's, it's you all. And Paul never gets credit for this, but Paul is really saying something he says all the time. He's saying y'all, okay? Good old South Carolina word right there. He's, he's literally saying, you all, y'all, you're the church. And it's what he's going to do here in these last few verses in this chapter is really he's summarizing everything he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's summarizing it all, and he's saying, y'all are the church. This is your identity. Now, he is going to talk about you being the temple of God later on in 1 Corinthians. He's going to individualize it. Your body is the temple. That's, that's 100% true. But in this particular case, it's a plural. The text is plural. So he's saying, you all are the church. No one can touch that. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And if someone seeks to destroy it, they will be destroyed. And the word destroyed means exactly what you think it is. So don't mess with, with our body, all right? No one better mess with the body of the church. Bad things will happen to them if, that, if, that, if they try to go down that road. But he, 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 he finishes this up by saying, look at verse, verse 19. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Is what he's saying is, remember what we saw in, verse, in chapter 1? The wisdom of this world is, is not going to understand the wisdom of God. The cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do not boast in men. He's, he's reviewing all these important things for the church to remember. Hey, all these things that I've talked about in these first three chapters, they go back to this. Make Jesus the foundation of your life. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it for your own glory. Don't hold on to stuff that you feel you deserve to have. You're a servant. I'm a servant. You're a servant. We're all servants. We're on this team. We're doing this for the glory of God. You've been called out by the grace of God. That's what he's calling out in these first two chapters. Where is your identity? Is your identity in Jesus Christ? Take care how you build your life. And let everything else fade away. Nothing else matters. Let everything else 